Hello and welcome to the MGMA Insider Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. Today we're joined by Alex Binder, Vice President of the Advanced Care Institute at VNA Health Group. Alex was the recipient of the 2018 Harwick Innovation Award. He's here today to talk about innovation in healthcare. Alex, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Now, you've got an interesting career path. You started in kind of the banking and financial services area, and then you moved over to healthcare. Tell us a little bit about that. What was that move like, and how did you wind up settling into focusing on mobile technology and other innovative ideas? Yeah, um, you know, it was just a, a matter of chance for the most part, and um, you never know where your career may go. And um, what happened was I got out of college, I got into banking, I was on the retail side, so, you know, customer service, sales, those types of things. And um, after about 15 years in banking, a friend of mine who was a physician, he had this idea that he was going to start making house calls. And it was somewhat of a pretty uncommon um, model at that time for a medical practice. And this was back in 1995. So he got started. I sort of helped him get it off the ground, but I stayed in banking for a while. And then around 2000, um, I had the opportunity to join him full time. You know, I started to believe more and more in the model. I saw the potential and the future in this house call medicine based on demographics and a couple of other things. And so I became a partner of his and handled the business side of the practice. And he, of course, handled the medical side. So um, that started in about 2000 and we were partners for about 15 years. Um, And then, you know, back in 2013, 2014, I think we started to see that being an independent practice with this unique approach was something that wasn't all that sustainable. We would need, you know, more resources behind us um, to keep that model running and to keep it contemporary and to, you know, utilize new technologies and so on. So back around 2013, 2014, we started to look for a potential partner and ultimately um, partnered up and merged with the VNA Health Group out here in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I like that phrase you use to describe what you guys do, house call medicine. Um, Now, I think of house calls in that traditional sense. You've got the doctor with his black bag just going to someone's house. Um, But you guys have really revolutionized this through technology. Um, Talk about that a little bit. What ways are you using technology to connect and care for patients at home? Well, you know... It's interesting. We use technology in a variety of different ways, but it really hasn't taken full root here um, in this type of model. Um, We know that telehealth and virtual visits are pretty much the future of many different types of practices, primary care and and in geriatric practice as well. Um, And we're starting to dabble in that and experiment in those areas. Um, because we know that will be the next wave. But 
you know, for now, there's still tremendous value by having that physician go to the house. Um, they utilize technology when they get to the house. So, of course, we have um, to utilize mobile EHR programs and to make sure that all of our equipment is um, simple and easy to use, that there's, you know, we use other companies, but that x-rays can be done. So digital x-rays, mobile x-rays, mobile ultrasounds, a lot of those technologies are um, available on, you know, in a mobile platform out in the field. Um, we also, you know, we use a lot of technology in the office um, from, and, and this is probably pretty traditional, but uh, patient satisfaction, our calls are monitored. You know, we utilize a third-party company that listens to our calls. We can play our calls back to make sure that um, all of our receptionists are handling patients properly and satisfying their needs. Um, of course, we do patient satisfaction surveys and all those things. We, like many practices, rely heavily on data and analytics. So we have a pretty sophisticated uh, data warehouse here and we can pull up a number of uh, key performance indicators whether it's at the practice level at a uh, provider level whatever it is so we use technology um, in those ways we're also you know one of our um, biggest uses of technology is a product called patient ping I'll talk about that in a second but we are experimenting more with, there is a national HIE called Care Quality. We're starting to work with them. Um, and there's also electronic um, prior authorizations that are available now. So we can get a prior off on a medication right through the EHR. Um, and one other thing is in New Jersey, they're working on an electronic pulsed document where there's going to be sort of interoperability of this end-of-life physician um, sustaining orders um, that patients and families will provide. So, you know, we're, we're using a lot of different pieces of technology. Um, a lot of it is still in the infancy stages. Mm -hmm. Let's take a step back then. Let's talk about where the industry is right now. You've mentioned that a couple of times, and want to get a sense of it for our audience to figure out where we are in sort of the life cycle of mobile health and, uh, you know, house calls, mobile health co house, house calls as well. Where, where are we with that? Well, um, I don't know, the second inning. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, Everything you see, everything we read about, where all of the venture capital money is going, where all the private equity funding is going, is in virtual visits, telehealth. You know, we understand the economics of health uh, care today and that um, we need to do a better job of leveraging our resources. And it appears that the future will be in these virtual visits and telehealth. Um, but, you know, interestingly, when I go to give a presentation or talk to um, patients and families and I say, has anyone ever uh, experienced or performed uh, a virtual visit? 
um, I think the numbers are still very low. So in terms of the people who have experienced it, the people who have benefited from it, the people who have bought into it, um, we haven't seen that tipping point yet. But we know it's right around the corner. We know there's tremendous value in it. Um, we're in a environment society needs um, very quick response times. Uh, consumers are demanding very quick response time. So this type of app-based availability is really going to help. Um, with us, you know, we're almost seeing it slightly differently where we still will need to probably send out a healthcare provider or maybe a nurse or an MA to the house they would utilize technology and they would almost have a Skype type platform to go back to a centrally located position. So we, you know, our model might be slightly different where we still are deploying human resources out to the field, but they're gonna leverage the technology and have the backup support of a physician. You know, they'll be the eyes and ears of those positions. So we look to, to leverage that opportunity as well but we know that with our patients and their families communication is still key there's a lot of difficult conversations that need to occur for end-of-life care and um, I think we still need to do that you know in a personal way so mm -hmm. we are researching exactly what the right mix is for our patient population right when you began in this field did you see the opportunity? Did you talk to people? How did you know to kind of make this space yours and, and really delve into it? Well, I'm going to tell you one reason the space is primarily ours is because um, it's not very profitable. <laughs> so um, not a whole lot of people have a whole lot of incentive um, in getting into this field. It's very challenging from an economic perspective when you have a doctor driving around and they may make six visits a day or seven visits a day. So the economics have always been challenging, but we have always seen that, um, you know, the triple aim healthcare, if you will, where you're gonna improve patient satisfaction, you're gonna improve outcomes, and you're gonna reduce cost. Um, this model is able to do that. And on top of that, you know, the patient population that we're taking care of from a demographic perspective is going to grow significantly over the next decade, two decades. So these types of solutions we know are going to play a more and more prominent role. And how it evolves with technology is going to be interesting because we are not going to be able to sustain having a doctor, we call it windshield time, you know, spend a lot of time behind the windshield driving around, but we're going to have to figure out how to leverage that. But again, in terms of demographics, this patient population is growing. People are living longer, but they're living sicker longer. Um, we're dealing with many of these chronic diseases that uh, prolong for a while. And, you know, our, our goal, our mission is to keep these patients stable and satisfied and comfortable and to possibly keep them out of the hospital when it's not necessary. And we see that healthcare, there's a lot of attention now. How do you keep patients out of the hospital 
Um, we're focused on that as well. So we think that this model helps to solve and satisfy a lot of those, um, you know, objectives. Um, you were talking about the economics and the revenue side of it being a little bit troubling. What can make that better? Is it new technology? Is it more people buying into it? What, what would help make it more profitable? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, what would really, you know, we, we have a saying around here um, that there's a place in heaven for people who do this type of work. There's just not a payment model for it. <laughs> and, um, you know, so it's really about payment models. It's really about putting money where there's value. And, you know, the shift away from fee-for-service is what we're seeing, and that is what we're looking for, and that's what we're hoping for, that if you can measure the value of what we provide in terms of outcomes, in terms of patient comfort and satisfaction, and in reducing the overall expense of these patients. Now, the challenge is, is to prove to the payer what the normal expense would have been for this patient. Our typical patient has a life expectancy of about two years from the time they come on to their to our practice. So typically the last two years of life, depending on what study you look at, patients incur about thirty to forty thousand dollars a year worth of expenses in those last two years of life. Um, our practice, we proved that that we our number is down closer to twenty four thousand dollars per year. But you know the payers still aren't impressed because they're comparing twenty four thousand to possibly twelve thousand that the average Medicare patient may incur. But um, once we get some uh, properly attributed, properly risk adjusted analysis of our patient population will be able to prove our value significantly. And we think there's still room for improvement with our model. Again, as we leverage technology, you know, when that patient calls up at eight o'clock at night, we don't run out there at eight o'clock tonight to make that house call. So if that patient is anxious, if that family is concerned, there's gonna be a hospital visit at nine o'clock tonight. But if we can get some type of technology where we can you know, have a virtual visit where we might even have some type of Bluetooth devices in the home and we can check their uh, pulse ox, we can check their heart rate, something like that, and then give them feedback, prescribe something, um, we'll be able to, you know, provide even additional value down the road. So that's what our vision is, but we need payers to really hone in on this end of life patient population and the type of work and value that we're delivering. Mm -hmm. Now, technology, as we've been talking about, is a major part of this, and it's the way you're communicating and help helping make this work. One of the technologies you mentioned earlier was patient ping. I hadn't heard of that before. What is that? What does it do? Right. So, Patient Ping is a, a company, and I'm sure they were founded with um, some investors, and they're in a number of states, and they've probably been in New Jersey. We're out here in New Jersey. They've probably been in New Jersey um, for three or four years. So what their uh, mission is is to aggregate 
ADT fees, what they call admission, discharge, and transfer information. Um, you know, it was news to me, but it seems as if every hospital has a real-time admission, discharge, and transfer information that they're required to collect, and patient ping becomes an aggregator of that. And since we have, you know, this unique practice, we cover a large geographic area, and there are probably 20 different hospitals within our catchment area. And for us to know that our one of our patients showed up in a hospital, you know, they don't always call us in advance. When the patient gets to the hospital, they can be confused. They might not identify us. Um, but this technology gives us a ping, a real-time ping and says, hey, Mrs. Jones just showed up at XYZ Hospital. And then we can sort the process from there. We can contact the hospital. We can contact the family. Um, and then, you know, on the, on the discharge side, which is even more important, is we make sure that we put a full court press on upon discharge. We know that readmissions, statistics show that readmissions happen typically within 10 days of discharge. And when those patients come home and they're still confused, they're on a new medication regimen, um, all of those things need to get reconciled. So we make sure when we get a ping that the patient's being discharged, again, we get uh, in touch with that family. We schedule a visit. We make sure somebody's going to go out there. They're going to look at the medications. They're going to reconcile everything. Um, so this is real-time information. And then there's also analytics within patient ping as well. So we can identify patients who are what we might call frequent flyers, who have been to the hospital, you know, three times in the last three months, patients who have been readmitted. Um, we can even, in some cases, monitor when a patient is discharged from the hospital and they go into a subacute facility and we know they're going to be there for two weeks or three weeks. Um, we'll contact that facility and so on. So it really is a tracking device, if you will, of us being able to monitor where our patient is and for us to stay in contact with them and to help oversee, maybe if we're not providing input on their care, but just to oversee um, the coordination of care back to the home. Do you have an example of what it looks like in the real world, like working with a patient? Um, yeah, you know, every day there's, a, <laughs> there's another real world example. Um, you know, we had, we were studying some of these frequent flyers not too long ago, and we saw a patient that typically towards the end of every month was ending up in the hospital. And, you know, we contact the family by phone and talk to them and ask them what was going on. And we got some indication that um, the patient's dementia was, at, was uh, acting up and so on and so forth. You know, when we sent our nurse practitioner out there and had them sort of investigate a little bit further, you know, what we determined was that family at the end of every month was really at wit's end. They had had enough. They couldn't continue to care for that patient anymore. And it was almost like a respite visit. They would send mom to the hospital so they would get five days worth of rest back at home. And 
you know, we weren't able to find other resources. You know, one thing we were able to adjust the patient's medications a little bit, but to find other resources to relieve the burden from the family, um, to get in maybe a visiting nurse or a home health aide um, or other things that can help them bridge this gap so they, they weren't putting tremendous drain on the healthcare system um, when it wasn't necessarily a medical emergency where the pa- why the patient was going to the hospital. So we've seen situations like that. We've seen a number of other situations where we're able, and you know, the reason a patient goes to the hospital isn't always obvious from a discharge summary um, and so on. You know, a patient might have fallen, but what was that fall uh, attributed to? Was it a UTI? Was it uh, a medication-related situation or so on? So you really have to dig deeper, um, but it's great that we get this real-time data to follow up immediately on all of these different events. Um, well, patients being cared from the comfort of their home can uh, come into another issue, and that's it's really one of privacy. So what's being done to ensure patient privacy? Yeah, you know, um, it's challenging. It's very unique. Um, we make sure, you know, we take certain steps. We have certain protocols. So, of course, everybody wears a badge. Um, all of the appointments are confirmed the day before in advance, so they know that, you know, our nurse practitioner or our physician will be out there tomorrow, um, and then they're expecting that person. Um, our provider shows up. They'll have a name badge on. Part of our protocol is we say you need to meet before you treat, so they need to walk into the house. They need to introduce themselves they need to understand who else is here. You know, here's the son, here's the granddaughter. Let me introduce myself to them and understand who they are, understand their level of involvement with the patient care. So we go through that process. And then, you know, as I mentioned earlier, there are situations where there's very difficult uh, conversations that we need to have with patients and families. And we have to just make sure that there is privacy. We may not want to discuss this in front of the whole family. Um, And, you know, sometimes the patients are very conservative and they don't want other family members involved. Or if we're doing an examination, you know, we're doing an examination in a patient's bedroom. And, um, you know, we might have to ask other people to leave the room so we can... um, you know, look at the patient's wounds on their buttocks or whatever it is. So, mm-hmm. you know, we try to follow a certain protocol. Um, there can also be safety issues in the house, whether it's a difficult neighborhood, whether there are family members who um, we're concerned about. There are a number of different um, scenarios that do play out. So we try to be cautious. Um, we try to make sure that we have full communication back with the office. Um, we tell our providers that if they're not comfortable, of course, they should leave the house. But um, we just try to establish a relationship with these families and these patients. And that really is the key to respecting their privacy and honoring whatever, you know, wishes and uh, HIPAA involvement you know that they would prefer Mm -hmm. 
Now, one final thing before we sign off. Uh, we've been talking a lot about technology and innovation in healthcare. And I wanted to mention that you were the recipient of the 2018 Harwick Innovation Award. Uh, tell our audience about that award and, and what it meant to you in winning that. Yeah, well, I mean, that was great. And um, I was really proud and happy of that. You know, uh, my buddy who started this practice back in 1994, um, Dr. John Salisbury, you know, he needs to be recognized as well. But um, this was something that was very um, unique at the time. And it's becoming more mainstream now. But the Hardwick Innovation Award talks about um, solutions contemporary solutions for contemporary problems. And I think, you know, Dr. Salisbury was a little bit ahead of his time, but when we look over the next 20 years and the demographic statistics show us that the number of 80-year-olds and 85-year-olds is going to double and triple in the next 20 or 30 years, you know, we really need new solutions. The hospital Look, everybody perceives that the sicker you are, the more you need the hospital. And I think in many, many cases, that's absolutely true. But when the person is 92 years old, they've already been to the hospital twice, and maybe that's not the best solution for them anymore. You know, this type of model, and as we continue to build it out and build on additional resources and technology, is really going to be the key to keeping these patients comfortable and stable at home. And I was just so impressed that the people from MGMA recognized both the, you know, um, tsunami of elderly people uh, that are going to have low mobility and chronic conditions and that there's going to be new unique models um, that are not traditional that are probably going to be the solutions to some of those um, healthcare issues we have down the road. So I was I was really happy um, and excited about receiving that award. Okay. Well, Alex, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and, and sharing these insights into healthcare innovation. Well, Daniel, I appreciate your time and I wish you guys all the best. This is a great service that you provide as well. Thanks again to Alex Binder for joining the podcast. If you're interested in learning more about innovation in healthcare, you can join us at MGMA's annual conference, October 13th through 16th in New Orleans. Registration is now open. For more information and to register, visit mgma.com slash bigeasy19. Thanks again for being an MGMA Insider. I'm Daniel Williams.